Well, I hope that's all of our prayer, uh, whether, whether we're working for a paycheck this morning or, or whether we're just a volunteer somewhere. I want you to keep that prayer in mind as we think about work together. Now, don't think that it didn't escape my notice that I've just been away for two weeks of vacation. Thank you, congregation, for letting me get away for two weeks of vacation. And I came back to writing a sermon on work. I think that was God's particular kindness to me, probably, to get my head back in the game. Uh, as, as, we get into, uh, as we get into this, though, I, I want to first paint a picture, actually two pictures, of two different cities. I've lived in both of them. Okay? One city. Well, this one city that I lived in, the suit was the uniform that everyone wore to work, including the pastor. Uh, it's, a, it's a city to which young people from all over the world move in order to change the world. It is a city where the most ambitious young people in the world go. Uh, it's, a, it's a city where the power lunch and the power tie were both perfected and used quite often. It's a city where you mostly saw your kids on the weekends because the workday lasted till long after they went to bed at night. That's one city. Now, there's another city that I've lived in, very different kind of city. Suits are rarely seen in this city, outside of occasionally at a wedding, maybe a funeral. Uh, it's been said, I don't know that it's true, but it's been said that this is a city where young people move to retire. Not to change the world, but to retire. Uh, it's a city where creativity, rather than productivity, is celebrated. And where, frankly, no one much cares what you do for a living. But they're very interested in what your plans are for the weekend. Now, you know which two cities I'm talking about, don't you? Right? I'm talking about Washington, D.C. and Portland, Oregon. Now, now the pictures I've painted, but let me just be really clear. I love both of these cities. The pictures I've painted are caricatures of both cities. But I think those two caricatures represent the two different opposing poles of our cultural attitude toward work. We tend either to idolize our work, finding all of our identity and meaning there, or we are idle at work, longing for the weekend, for the next vacation, believing that life is actually in the weekend and in the vacation rather than at work. And the reality is, as Americans, we can't make up our minds. Are we working to live? Or do we live to work? And I think the reason we can't make up our minds is, is in a consumer culture like ours, is it even possible to choose between the two? Aren't we almost required to pursue both simultaneously? This summer, we've been considering God's wisdom as it's revealed in the book of Proverbs. And we've seen that wisdom is the art of living well in God's world. Today, we take up the last of the, the specific topics that we're considering out of the book of Proverbs, and that is wisdom on the job. 
So here's, here's how we're going to proceed. First, a, a quick user's guide and four assumptions that Proverbs makes about work. And then I'm going to lay out four principles for our work that Proverbs stresses. So a quick user's guide, four assumptions, and then four principles. First, the user's guide. All right, most American adults will spend at least 80,000 hours of their lives working for a paycheck. The only single activity that you will voluntarily do more than that is sleep. And no one pays you for that. So for the employed here this morning, or the soon-to-be employed, so so youth and and college students, the soon-to-be employed, this sermon's for you. Because it is about what you're going to do in life more than any other single thing. Now, some of us, of course, find ourselves here this morning either unemployed or underemployed. I want to encourage you, as you listen to what Proverbs has to say about work, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to listen, not just so that you can learn something for your future work when, when you're fully employed again, but I want you to listen even now for your present character. Because as Proverbs is going to point out, it doesn't matter how much you make if what you are on the inside isn't right with God. And finally, there are lots of people here today who labor every day, but not for a paycheck. From the disabled, to the stay-at-home mom, to the retired, I want you to be encouraged that Proverbs does not equate work with remuneration, all right? Proverbs actually uses five different words that all get translated work in our English Bible, and only one of those words actually implies a, a, a paid job. All the other words that Proverbs uses to describe work actually encompasses unpaid labor. So if you're here this morning, you know, as, as a stay-at-home mom, as, as somebody who spends most of their time volunteering in the community, as a retired grandparent, your work matters, even if it's not paid. And Proverbs speaks to it. All right, there's the user's guide. That, that begins to help you know how to listen. What are the assumptions of Proverbs when it comes to work? I want to highlight four very quickly. First, God is a worker. God is a worker. In Genesis 1, the biblical narrative begins with God at work. There's assumption number one. God is not just like sitting back on his laurels. God is a worker. And therefore, second second assumption, human work is good. Human work is good. In Genesis 2, before the fall, Adam is given a job. He's given a job in paradise. What does that mean? It means we were created to work. Work isn't a result of the fall. It precedes the fall. Why is that? Well, we were made in the image of God, and we start with that first assumption. God is a worker. So if we're made in his image, then we were made to work as well. Third assumption, because of the fall, human work is necessary. It, it, it is necessary. In Genesis 3, God declares that Adam will eat by the sweat of his brow. He's going to have to work if he's going to eat. It's why Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. There's, there's a very direct correlation between work and survival. If you're going to eat, you're going to have to work. But, but it's not just that work is necessary for survival. 
Fourth, fourth assumption, human work is toilsome. It's toilsome. Because of our sin, God cursed the ground. That, that is to say, God cursed the field of our labor. And he declared in the curse that through painful toil, we would eat of the ground. And, and even as it produced crops for us, it would also produce thorns and thistles that, that get in the way, that, that frustrate everything. So as good and necessary that human work is, human work is also difficult, it is frustrating, it is often futile, and it never turns out as good as we'd hoped. That's what it means to live in a fallen world. All right, now it's in that very realistic context, with those four assumptions, that Proverbs talks about work. And and what I want to do this morning is I want to lay out these four principles that Proverbs explicitly emphasizes concerning work itself. Of course, every sermon you've heard so far on Proverbs applies to work, right? A a couple of weeks ago, uh, you you heard Daniel talk about relationships, and a big part of work is workplace relationships. So that whole sermon, that was a sermon on work. And and last week, you heard Jeff give a sermon on money. And of course, those of us that work for for money, well, we're working for money, right? So that whole sermon, the way we think about what we're working for, that was a sermon on work. But but what I want to do this morning is specifically look at those explicit passages in Proverbs about work. And as before, that means this is not a topical sermon on work, everything that the Bible has to say about work. This is very specifically a sermon on what Proverbs has to say about work. And what it has to say about work is this. First, work is worth it. Work is worth it. But only, second if you work first and play later, all right? So work is worth it, but second, only if you work first and play later. Therefore, third, don't fall asleep on the job. Don't fall asleep on the job. Because fourth, references will be required. References will be required. All right, that's that's the outline as we work through the rest of this. First, work is worth it. Work is worth it. The fundamental attitude of Proverbs towards work is positive. It thinks work is good. And it kind of thinks it's good in a very obvious, taken for granted, I shouldn't have to tell you this sort of way. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 14. From the fruit of his lips, a man is filled with good things as surely as the work of his hands rewards him. See what's going on in that proverb? It's not trying to prove to you that the work of your hands is going to reward you. It takes it as a given that you already get that. That doesn't need to convince you of that. What this proverb is is trying to convince you of is that actually your speech matters. And how you speak is going to either bring blessing into your life or trouble into your life. And the way it proves that is it compares it to the work of your hands. From the fruit of your lips, your life is filled with good things as surely as the work of your hands reward you. The less obvious being illustrated by the totally obvious. Work is worth it, according to Proverbs, because work brings prosperity into your life. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. It's not capitalism that thought up the profit motive, right? It's right there in Proverbs. It's the way God designed the world to work. 
Now, now in a fallen world, work is going to be, it's going to be hard. It says hard work brings a profit. Actually, toilsome work. This proverb, Proverbs 14, 23, uses the very same word to describe work that God used in Genesis chapter 3 in the curse for toil. So it's, it's not just hard work, it's, it's, it's toilsome work brings a profit. Mere talk leads only to poverty. What's more, our work will not only be toilsome, it's often going to be messy. It's often going to be quite messy. Proverbs 14, 4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. From the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. If you want a neat and tidy barn, don't put any animals in it, right? But if you want your barn overflowing with grain, well, you're going to have to muck out some stalls. There's just no way around it. Work brings a profit. Work brings material blessing. But it is often toilsome, and it is often messy. And, and here, at this point, actually, I just want to briefly pause and speak to moms, okay? Now, this applies to everybody, but I particularly want to speak to moms on this one. Moms, what kind of barn are you keeping? What kind of barn are you aspiring to keep? You know, when you look at those glossy magazines with those beautiful homes, there are never kids in the picture, ever. They've, they've all grown up and left the house a long time ago if they were ever present in the first place. But moms, let me just remind you, you are not working for the harvest of a photo spread, right? You are working for a harvest of children who've been raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and who are launching out into mature adulthood. And I don't think that you can do that and keep a home that's ready for a photo spread in House Beautiful. I, I, you know, you got too many oxen running around. And, and they're baby oxen. So they're particularly unruly. And those stalls have to be mucked out. So I, I really want to relieve moms, in particular, of a false burden of the perfect, picture-perfect home. Maybe later, but then the grandkids will come, and so that won't work either. But certainly not now. Certainly not now. It, it, you want an abundant harvest, and that means it's going to be messy. And that's not just true for moms. That's true for all of us in our work. We can so pursue order and control, that our work becomes sterile. Work is toilsome in a fallen world. Work is messy in a fallen world. But it is worth it. Because at the most basic level, it brings prosperity. It brings tangible results. But work actually brings more than material reward and tangible results, according to Proverbs. Work also brings honor and dignity to the worker. Proverbs 22, verse 29 do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. And then as we are diligent in our work, that honor and that success is sure, usually, to increase. Proverbs 12, 24, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. Now, does this mean that the best worker always gets the promotion? or the contract, or the job? No, not at all. 
It does not mean that. Remember, as we've talked about from the very beginning in this series on Proverbs, Proverbs are statements of how things generally work in God's world. They are not absolute promises. They are not laws. But they do speak to us of why we should give ourselves to our work rather than avoiding our work. Work is worth it. Not only for the material reward that it brings, but because through it we find dignity in the eyes of the people around us. We find honor. We find responsibility and success. And this is what we were made for. This goes right back again to being created in the image of God. We were created in God's image to be stewards of the world. We were made for responsibility. We were made for work. And work brings it. Now, I think this also has huge implications for our social policy as a country, and I don't normally often talk about these things, but this is an obvious place to just mention this, this, this one principle. Handouts, direct aid, uh, di- direct social welfare is often needed and should be given, but it is never the solution to the human problem. Human beings created in God's image need the dignity of human work, of honest work. Which is why I prayed earlier that our government would be concerned not just to to enlarge the social welfare net, but that our government would be concerned to pursue policies that, that promote the creation of jobs. If you're here this morning and you're an employer, you're someone who has the ability to hire I think you you have questions to ask yourself, particularly if you're an owner or a proprietor. Are you working to maximize your own personal profits? Or because you're created in the image of God and because you love your neighbor, are you willing to manage your own personal profits so as to be able to employ more people? I understand there's a balance there. I, I understand that you can't not make a profit at all. But how do you think about your own personal profits? As workers, which is where most of us fall, as workers, we need to understand that if we're only working for money, then we don't understand our work. Work is not finally meant to enrich us, but to humanize us. That's what work does. It humanizes us. It's, it's why the, the unpaid labor of child-rearing or, or volunteering in a community or church or, or mentoring a young worker in your retirement, it's why those kinds of labor are just as dignifying as bringing home a paycheck. God created work for us because he created us in his image. God is a worker, and therefore work is worth it. Because its reward is in the very doing of it, and not just in the paycheck. So work is worth it. But second, only if you work now and play later. Only if you work now and play later. In the worldview of Proverbs, there is a priority to work over leisure. It's not that Proverbs is anti-play. It's not that Proverbs doesn't believe in taking a vacation. Rather, Proverbs starts with the implications of Genesis 3, one of those assumptions that I laid out right at the very beginning. Work is how we must provide for ourselves so that we can eat and live just at that most basic level of survival. So Proverbs chapter 24, verse 27. 
Finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. I remember reading Little House on the Prairie to my, to my kids. And if you, if you remember, when they moved to the prairie, Pa finished the stable and the barn before he put a roof on his own house and before he laid the nice finished floor for his own house. Now, now, now that makes sense in an agricultural setting. You're, you're really only one season away from ruin, so you've got to take care of the animals and the crops first and your own comfort later. But frankly, it makes sense in our setting too, doesn't it? I mean, we've just been through the Great Recession. How many people lost their homes in the recession because their paychecks could not support their lifestyles, because they overextended themselves? So particularly if you are a young worker, if you're just getting started in in your work, before you buy that nice new car, and it's tempting, you know, because, because you've gone through high school, and you've gone through college, and maybe graduate school, and you're not getting paid anything. Maybe you're even racking up debt. Talk to me before you do too much of that for education. But maybe you've you've racked up some debt, and all of a sudden you get this paycheck, and it's the most money you've ever seen in your whole life. You can't believe it, how much money you're getting paid. And so it's really tempting at that point to go out, and people are quite happy to help you. Buy that nice new car, Easy installment payments? Maybe upgrade your TV or your furniture? Maybe even as, as a young family, you're thinking, boy, it's, it's, it's time to move out of this starter home that we had into a bigger and better home. Friends, before you do that, take care of your outside work first. Invest in your career. Make, make sure that you have in place the means to provide. Because when we prioritize our comfort and our ease first, we're sure to lose it. We are sure to lose it. But the priority of work is not just about keeping a roof over our heads. Proverbs 18, verse 9. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. There's a sense in which there is no standing still in this world. Either we are being creative and productive, we are adding value to the world and the people around us, or through our idleness, through our slackness, and kind of just getting by, we are being destructive. That's what Proverbs says. It's it's, it's like we're we're a vandal, which is another way this, this could have been uh, translated. You're, 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 being a, you're being a vandal, someone who comes and does nothing but take from others and consume. It all goes back to being created in the image of God, the working creator. We are not fundamentally meant to be consumers. Yes, we have to consume, but that's not our identity. We were created to be creative producers, People who leave more behind us than we take. But there's even more to this idea than simply being productive. When we think about the priority of work and working first and playing later, good work requires wisdom. It means doing the right thing at the right time despite the difficulty. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. A sluggard does not plow in season. So at harvest time, he looks but finds nothing. 
This is one of those Proverbs that you read it and you go, duh. You know, of course, why did that even need to be written down? Of course, if you don't plow in season, there's, there's not going to be a harvest. But, but, but when you realize that that phrase, in season, actually means, like a more literal translation would be like, the cold season or the rains, then you understand why this was written down. If we want to harvest, we're going to have to be willing to plow in the wet and in the cold. Sure, it would be a lot more comfortable to wait until it's warm and sunny outside. It'd be a lot easier to just tackle that difficult project tomorrow. Always tomorrow. It would make for so much more pleasant day today to just not even bother confronting your teenager. I could get home not just on time, but like early for dinner if I just wouldn't make those last two sales calls. You see, this is not an ancient problem. It's a very present, modern problem. The problem for all of us is that when harvest time comes, there will be no harvest to reap if we didn't do the right work at the right time, despite the cold and wet, despite the fact that it didn't feel convenient or fun or easy to do that work at just this moment. One of the basic principles of work, according to Proverbs, is the principle of delayed gratification. Max Weber, in his book, uh, the, the Protestant Work Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism, talked about this a lot, but but he didn't invent it. Actually, Protestants didn't invent it. It's right here in Proverbs. Proverbs 10, verses 4 and 5. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Delayed gratification. This is not a message that our instant gratification, fast food, easy credit, Twitter culture appreciates. Ours is a generation that feels entitled to everything now. And and, and I'm not just talking about young people. I mean, I'm, I'm in my late 40s. I grew up listening to Dire Straits, 1985, money for nothing. This idea has been around a long time. It's not wisdom in our culture. It's not wisdom to deny yourself. It's not wisdom to delay. It's not, it's not wisdom to invest and put off for that future day. But it is wisdom in God's world. Therefore, third, don't fall asleep on the job. Don't fall asleep on the job. One of the most memorable characters in the entire book of Proverbs is the sluggard. He is a tragic, comic figure. You really don't know sometimes whether to laugh or to cry as you read about him. And he's one of the main ways that the book of Proverbs talks about work. He shows up 14 times in the book of Proverbs, the first of which is Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Uh, So turn with me there. I'm going to read several verses. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. 
It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. How humiliating to be told to go learn from the lowly ant, right? I mean, if he'd been told, go learn from the noble eagle, or go, go learn from the brave lion, he might have felt better about himself. But no, no, the sluggard is told to go and learn from the lowly ant, because that's what the sluggard needs. You see, the sluggard in the book of Proverbs is, is the one who refuses to work or is slipshod, kind of lazy in his work. The ant doesn't need anyone to tell it to get up and work and prepare now for the coming winter. The the, the sluggard would rather sleep and and has to be cajoled to do what is good for him. It's not like he's being cajoled to go, you know, work to provide food for someone else. He's just been told, look, you, you need to do this just to take care of yourself. But he'd rather just sleep. Now turn over to Proverbs 24, verse 30. Proverbs 24, verse 30. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. Same language, just without the ants. What happens when we give ourselves to our ease and our comfort rather than our work? Well, Proverbs 6 and Proverbs 24, I mean, it repeats it. It says it to us twice. Poverty, scarcity, ruin. Both passages compare this this scarcity to to an armed man or to a bandit. In other words, when it comes, it will take you by surprise with superior force. It will leave you with nothing, and there's no arguing with it. It doesn't matter what excuse you make. It will take. What's interesting about the sluggard, though, is that it's not as if he has no ambition. It's it's not as if he has no desires for for finer things in life. He's actually full of desires. He has champagne taste. It's just that he's unwilling to apply himself, to to, to weary himself to that end. And so in the end, the sluggard is left empty with nothing but his desires and all of them unfulfilled. Proverbs 13.4. The sluggard craves and gets nothing. But the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. So committed is the sluggard to avoiding work, he doesn't even cook his food. Proverbs 12, 27. Finally, the sluggard is is too weary, he's too sleepy to even lift his hand from the bowl to his mouth. It just stays there. 
And it's left to our imagination to kind of complete the picture. As in his weariness, he just falls asleep in his bowl, left to feed like an animal. It's comic and it's sad. It's extreme. Proverbs is, is meaning to almost paint a caricature here. But, but it makes the point, doesn't it? The sluggard has many desires, but he has one controlling desire, and that's his own ease, his own ease. Proverbs 26, 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. Ease is easy. Like a door turning on its hinge, it is just plain easier to roll over in bed than it is to get out of bed and face the day. It is just plain easier to avoid the work than to really apply yourself to the work before you. It is easier to avoid the difficult conversation than to actually have the difficult conversation. Ease is easy. That's why we call it ease. Now, to justify his avoidance of work, the sluggard is a master of excuses. Proverbs 22, 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside, or I'll be murdered in the streets. They're preposterous excuses. But that's okay, because the only person the sluggard needs to convince is himself. And he's gotten very good at that. He believes his excuses. Now, this is what we need to, in part, take away from, from the sluggard as he's presented in the book of Proverbs. Not once does Proverbs deny the attractiveness of ease. Of course, who doesn't like a good lion on a Saturday morning, right? Who wouldn't rather take a day off or two or three when they get the chance? Proverbs doesn't deny the attractiveness of ease. Proverbs simply points out the result of prioritizing ease over work. Proverbs 21, 25. The sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Now, let me be clear. There's nothing wrong and everything right with taking regular vacations. I just got back from one. I loved it. I highly recommend them. There's nothing wrong and everything right with building rest into your regular rhythm of life. I mean, it's right there in the Ten Commandments, right? The Sabbath principle. There's nothing wrong and everything right with spending some of your time doing things other than your regular job. We, we call those things recreation. And they're restorative. They're helpful. So understand that in the book of Proverbs, the opposite of the sluggard is not the workaholic. The opposite of the sluggard is the wise man. The wise man learns from the sluggard's bad example. We read it already there in Proverbs 24, verse 32. I applied my heart to what I observed 
and learned a lesson from what I saw. What does the wise man, what does the wise worker learn when he looks at the sluggard? Not that he should be a workaholic. Now, I think Derek Kidner, who wrote one of the best commentaries on the book of Proverbs, says it well. The wise man knows that the sluggard is no freak, but often is not an ordinary man who has made too many excuses, too many refusals, and too many postponements. It has all been as imperceptible and as pleasant as falling asleep. Are you in danger of falling asleep on the job this morning? And whatever work it is that God's given you, are you in danger of work avoidance? Yeah, you show up for the job day in and day out, but you've become really good at avoiding the extra assignments. You've become very good at avoiding the responsibilities that are handed out at work. Have you become someone who maybe you don't even realize how good you've gotten at it? You're always delaying. You're always postponing. You don't say no to a responsibility, but it takes forever to get it done. Have you become someone who too often refuses work? Especially if it's hard. Especially if if you're going to have to exert yourself. Whatever the work is, are you quick with excuses? Let me speak specifically, I think, particularly here to children. You have work to do, children. Your parents probably are quite often asking you to contribute to the home economy. Just the carrying forward, the working, the working out of life in your family's home. When mom or dad asks you to do something, do you always have an excuse of why you can't do it right now or why that's too hard for you? It's quite easy to become a sluggard quite young, and it is quite dangerous. Working hard does not guarantee success. There are plenty of examples, maybe even in, this, in our own congregation, of people who have worked hard all their lives, and they are not the success that they had hoped to be. But let me assure you that avoiding work is sure to guarantee failure. Moral failure, material failure, social failure. So what's the difference between the sluggard and the wise man, between the sluggard and the diligent, the diligent. That leads us to the fourth point, finally. References will be required. References will be required. While Proverbs spends most of its time on the value and the priority of work and the warning negatively of the sluggard, the ultimate concern of Proverbs is the character of the worker. Proverbs 26, verse 10. Like an archer who wounds at random is he who hires a fool or any passerby. To hire someone that you know nothing about or or worse, to hire a known fool is simply to bring pain into your life. It's why to this very day, employers ask for references. But the question of character in the book of Proverbs 
particularly our character as workers, it's not finally a matter of good business sense. The question of character is moral. It reminds us that in the end, we're not going to answer to a boss for our work. I'm not going to answer to a board for my work. We're all going to answer to the Lord, the worker who created us in his image. Listen to these three Proverbs. Proverbs 11, verse 1. The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. Proverbs 16, 11. Honest scales and balances are from the Lord. All the weights in the bag are of his making. Proverbs 20, 23. The Lord detests differing weights, and dishonest scales do not please him. All of these Proverbs speak into a, a, a merchant economy. And they remind us that dishonesty might make us more money, but it will also certainly earn for us the Lord's judgment. And so here's another principle that's at work throughout the book of Proverbs. If if delayed gratification is one of those principles, a second principle is this, a man will reap what he sows. In God's world, a man will reap what he sows. Character will have the last word. God is not only the final judge, he is the ultimate employer, and he will pay us our final wages. So what wages has our work earned? The Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And, and that's not just in our relationships with each other. I mean, that's, that's in our work. We have sinned in our work. We may not have been as sluggardly as the sluggard, but haven't all of us here this morning at some point or another kind of slacked off in our work when we shouldn't have? Or, or shaded the truth in our, in our dealings with others? Or aren't all of us here this morning guilty of giving less than our best at times anyway? We, we've skimped. We, we, we've cut corners when we know we shouldn't have. Maybe we've, we've cheated our employers by the way we've filled out our timesheets, or, or honestly, we filled out our timesheets fine, we just didn't work hard for the eight hours we claimed. Or we've cheated our customers. We've let less than good enough be good enough. Doesn't that describe all of us? I, I, I would admit to my shame that it describes me. In my work as a pastor, I wish I could guarantee to you that you really get a full 40 to 50 hours of hard work out of me every week. But I'd be a liar if I said that. Oh, some weeks, sure, but not every week. Are you different than me in this? In our work, whether it's building buildings or raising kids, managing people or serving or selling, all of us have sinned. And Paul tells us that the wages of sin are death. Romans 6.23. Perhaps Paul had Proverbs 10.16 in mind when he wrote that. The wages of the righteous bring them life. The income of the wicked brings punishment. 
So what are we to do? All of us as, as sinful workers. Friends, this is why it's so important that we started with the fact that God is a worker. The good news of the gospel is that God is at work to this day saving people like you and me from our sins. And he did it by giving his own son a job. He said to his son, son, I have a job for you. I want you to take on human flesh and to enter into human history. And I want you to redeem a people for me. And the son said, okay, I'll take the job. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, took on the work of redeeming sinners for God. He never once complained about the work he was given. He didn't didn't avoid his work. He gave himself fully to his work. In fact, work is one of the ways that he talked about his death on the cross. John 17, verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. You see, Jesus didn't make any excuses. He didn't avoid his sacrificial work. He gave his life fully as a sacrifice for sinners. And on the cross, God paid the wages to Jesus that you and I deserve for our sloppy work in this life. And he did it so that spiritual sluggards like us could be forgiven as we repent of being sluggards and as we put our faith in him. But it's not just that in the gospel we're forgiven. In the gospel, we're actually given a new job, a vocation to live for God and his glory, not for our own. To live for God's fame, not for our ease. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, understand this is what we're calling you to in the gospel. We're we're not calling you to work hard so that God will love you. We're not calling you to clean up your life first so that that God will accept you into his heaven. No, No, we're calling you to accept the work that Jesus has done on your behalf. And then to accept this new work that God has given you, to live for him instead of for yourself. I'm not calling you to just be a better worker on the job. The gospel calls you to live your whole life to the glory of God, and it gives you everything you need to do that. Well, if that sounds like a job you'd like to accept, I'd love to talk to you today. I'll be standing at the door in the back. There'll be people down front that are ready to talk to you. But let me encourage you. There is no better job offer out there. God is calling you to live for him and to do it through the power of Jesus Christ. It's a job offer that will not always be offered. A a day will come when you couldn't take the job even if you wanted it. Today is the day to take the job. Christian, just as we conclude, this is your work, what I've just been talking about. You you understand that, don't you? Whatever, Whatever job you have, 
Your work is to live for God's glory. And you do that as you understand that work is worth it, as you prioritize your work, as you are diligent at it rather than a sluggard, and above all, as you in Christ become a worker worthy of your hire. Your character, as we heard Tom Schreiner preach just a few weeks ago, your character is a reference letter from Christ to a watching world. So do not idolize your work, but do not be idle at it either. Rather, with Paul, say to yourself, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. There is no better employer to work for. There is no better job to have. Let's pray. Take just a moment in the quietness to think about what you've heard, to think about maybe one thing or two things that you want to take away with you today. Maybe you need to get something right with the Lord. Maybe there's specific ways in which you've been falling into sluggardness and need to repent of that. Maybe it's just your attitude towards your work. Whatever it is, take, some, take a few moments now to think about that in the Lord's presence. Father, we pray that you would forgive us of our ungodly and unworthy attitudes towards our work. We pray that you'd forgive us for resenting our work. We pray that you'd forgive us for neglecting our work. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to have this attitude towards our work, that in working, you have made us to be like yourself. And in our work, we bring you glory. Father, we pray that we would take that with us into our work later today, into our work tomorrow and throughout the week. Father, most of all, we pray that we would be men and women who go about our work depending upon the work of Christ, knowing that all that we do, any good that we do in this life and in this world, is only because Christ is at work in us and has already done all the work that is needed to make us right with you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.